You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. It follows, guess what? 1 Timothy. And if you need a Bible, there should be a paper Bible in the racks below you there under the chairs. Encourage you to follow along there. If you don't have the Riverside app open yet and you've already downloaded it, I encourage you to to look at that and follow along in the live event notes section there. If you need paper notes, those are in your bulletins as well. And we're continuing in this series, Never Be Ashamed, Bold Faith Never Backs Down. And in this year, we since September, we've been looking at this whole idea of having bold faith. It's been our theme. And so each month, each message series, we've been taking a different slice of what it looks like to have bold faith. And in this month's series, we're looking at this letter by a guy named Paul. He was originally named Saul. Jesus transformed his life and he became who we know today as the Apostle Paul. And he started dozens of churches all over the known world at that time. And he strengthened churches and he poured his life into a specific set of people. And one of those guys is a guy that we know now as Tim a younger man who was leading a local church and became one of the early leaders there in the first century Christianity. And Paul is writing roughly 35 years after the resurrection. It's about 65 to 67 AD that he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he's actually in a Roman prison. And he's telling Timothy to never be ashamed. And here's a guy who's living this out. Paul was living this out right in front of Timothy's life and and for him to be able to see. And so for Timothy to receive these letters would have been so, so special to him. And so last week, we walked through chapter one and Michael took us through chapter one. And the challenge there was to never be ashamed of Jesus, never be ashamed of Jesus' message, and never be ashamed of his family, the church. Today... I want to talk to you about fulfillment. And as Paul walks us through chapter two, you'll notice that there are 26 verses. We're going to cover all of them this morning. The great news is, is that there's no football to get to this afternoon. The Pirates have yet to start playing and the Penguins don't play till Tuesday. So we'll have plenty of time to cover these 26 verses for you. As you think about your life, when are you the most fulfilled? Is it after you have washed your car, got it all clean, or maybe shoveled all the snow out of your driveway? Is that pretty fulfilling for you? Maybe for some of you, it's you've finished the semester and it feels so fulfilling to have completed another semester. For some of us, it might be you've cooked and cooked and cooked and you've prepared the perfect meal and you've laid it out on the table and everyone's eating and you get to sit back and you get to watch everyone eat and you get to have such fulfillment in knowing that you've created a great experience for some people. Others of us, we feel fulfilled after we've just completed the last drop of the perfect cup of coffee. Maybe for you, it's You've entered into a, a scenario where you were in over your head and you managed to get through that. Maybe it was at work, maybe it was in a relationship, maybe it was in a family experience, and you complete that and it's all said and done and that's so fulfilling. 
Imagine the experience that a, um, a pilot has flying from here to Cambodia and that landing that plane. Imagine the, the moment there and how fulfilling that must feel. Or somebody who's performing a surgery and the doctor gets done and he sews up the patient. Imagine the fulfillment of that moment, assuming everything's gone well. When is it in your life that you feel the most fulfilled? Maybe it's something as simple as the dishes are done or you've completed a drawing or maybe it's something a little bit more complex like hanging a picture. My wife tricked me this Christmas. She wanted a picture and we went to Michael's and we bought the frame and I didn't pay attention to the back of the frame. It was one of those kind that you have to hang up on either end Satan's playground is, is right there trying to get that level. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I have lost my salvation many times trying to hang those stupid things. You say, why don't you just put the hooks on the back and put the wire on there because I don't know how, so I have to deal with this. So talk about fulfillment. The day that I finished hanging that and you can go into our bedroom now and put the level up there and it's actually level by the grace of God. I didn't punch a hole through the wall, but that was so fulfilling. When are you the most fulfilled? And there's a difference between fulfillment and feeling like you've accomplished something. In fact, some of the illustrations I've given you to start off with they have more to do with accomplishment than they do with fulfillment because ultimately there's something deeper in fulfillment. And the question that I want us to walk through as we see in chapter two is what kind of a worker, what kind of a person experiences fulfillment. Another way of saying it is what kind of a worker is never ashamed. And as we walk through chapter two of 2 Timothy, we're going to see six different images, metaphors that Paul paints for us. We've chosen one of them in this idea of worker. So when you think about what kind of a worker experiences fulfillment, when you think about what kind of a worker is never ashamed, think beyond just your nine to five work environment, although that's a huge piece of this. Think about your relationships, your friendships, your parenting, your relating to your coaches or your students. Think about relating to teachers or your spouse or your friends. Think about working inside of the church or using your capacities in some nonprofit and volunteering kind of an experience. Think about ultimately all of life because what Paul's gonna paint, paint a picture for us in chapter two and what he's gonna show us is that ultimately Jesus lived in such a way that at the end of his life, he had lived in such a way that it was fulfilling. And that's what he invites us into as we follow him. And so what I want us to walk through here is beginning in chapter one, these six metaphors. I'm gonna invite you to bow your hearts. I wanna pray and ask God to do something tremendous in us this morning. Lord, it's exactly what I'm praying for, the miraculous to occur in our minds and our hearts and our souls, that you would stir us up to something deeper, something more fulfilling, that we wouldn't just be about trying to accomplish things, tasks, procedures, we wouldn't be just about accomplishing work, but that we would live in such a way and relate to each other and to you in such a way that there's actual fulfillment at the end of a life and throughout the course of our lives. So open our minds, help us to receive from your word. It's living, it's active, it has something in store for us. 
We ask you to speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse one, you then, my son, not literally his son, but his spiritual son. Paul had helped Timothy to grow in the faith. He says, you then, my son, be strong. There's our idea of bold. Have a bold faith that never backs down. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good, here's, our, here's the first of our metaphors, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. In those first seven verses, Paul mentions three of our six metaphors. The thought that goes with this text is that a fulfilled worker has avoided entanglement and temptation. He reads it right there, he writes it right there, and he mentions this whole idea of entrusting to others what we ourselves have received. And it's a beautiful picture of why we have discipleship, coaching relationships one-on-one. It's why, because of what this text and many others said, Jesus said we should go and we should make disciples. Paul says to Timothy, I pass something on to you. You pass it on to someone else. They pass it on to someone else. And they pass it on to someone else. And we are still standing here today because these verses were applied and we're still applying them today. That's why at the bottom of your digital notes, you'll see that there's a section there that we put in there every single week that's called Next Steps. And it's an opportunity for you to sign up to be able to be coached spiritually by another guy, guys, or another lady, ladies, if you would like to pursue that. If you're not a digital person and you want it in paper form, it's, it's down here on either side in the Learning to Follow Jesus First Steps material. But it's because we believe in entrusting the faith to the next generation. And that includes all of us here in this room. So Paul says that we're to do that. And then he uses this idea of a soldier. And that speaks to the whole Roman influence of his day. He uses the metaphor of an athlete, which speaks to the whole Greek concept of how to live back then. And then he uses a everyday farming analogy as well. So whether you find yourself in this first section as you'd like to think of yourself more as a soldier or an athlete or a farmer, there are some very clear things that Paul wanted Timothy as he would think about this to get a hold of. He talks about the whole idea of, of avoiding entanglement and the temptation to not follow according to the rules. We all have that sense of that fighting on the battlefield or on the athletic field or on a, in a crop field. We want to take shortcuts. And Paul says, don't take shortcuts, Timothy. Professional athletes, they work hard. Soldiers have a singular focus. It's all about endurance. It's all about perseverance. It's all about obedience in these first three metaphors. He wants us to get a hold of this and live in such a way that we avoid entanglement and temptation. The entanglement is to get into involved and distracted. That's really what this is all about. He, he challenges Timothy, don't get distracted 
by the stuff of this life. Just like a soldier is singularly focused, wholeheartedly devoted to doing exactly what the commanding officer says, you be focused. You be focused. You be focused. Keep in step with God's Holy Spirit. Just like an athlete, you know, if you're looking for a recreational athlete, then you're going to do it casually. You're going to do it when it's convenient. But Paul says to Timothy, no, I want you to do this at the professional level. I want you all bought in and you will follow when everything is firing on all eight cylinders. I want you to keep moving. I want you to discipline yourself. It's all about discipline here. And then a farmer perseveres. A farmer, when the sun's up, he's working hard. He's laboring. He's toiling. He's taking this life seriously. And so at the end of our lives, Paul wants us to be able to look back and say, yes, you know what? I was singularly focused on what Jesus was wanting me to do like a good soldier. I endured just like an athlete, a professional athlete who took this seriously. I toiled and I persevered just like a farmer. He wanted that for Timothy and I think God would want that for us today as we listen. He continues on in verse eight. He says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word, I love this line, God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Paul says, Timothy, a fulfilled worker, has suffered and has endured. Notice that he suffers. He says, this is my gospel. That means good news. And he summarizes the gospel in that statement right above. Remember Jesus Christ. He ties him to a descendant of David. That would have meant by the title Christ and the connection to David that he was the Messiah, their long-awaited rescuer and redeemer. And he was raised from the dead. Good news is that Jesus is not in the tomb. Jesus has risen and he's invited us to follow him. This is all about the attitude that we have towards suffering. And there are some of you here that I see you serve week in and week out. And I see you do your jobs week in and week out. And you pursue your marriages week in and week out. And there is pain and there is anguish and there is hurt and there is difficulty. You suffer well, you endure well. And I wanna encourage you to keep that up. In the mind of a person who understands this, in the mind of a worker who will be fulfilled at the end of life, they view suffering as a part of God's plan. It is just nothing that we can avoid. It's nothing that we can escape. Not a single one of Jesus' followers escaped suffering. They all had to endure and nothing has changed in our world today. The challenge for us is to finish this race well. And that's gonna require suffering and it's gonna require endurance. And it's not a popular message. In fact, if you've come and you've been in other environments where it's all about, hey, come to Jesus and it's gonna be a piece of cake, you've bought into a completely different version of Christianity than the scriptures portray. 
We could line literally all 11 apostles, the apostle Paul and all the people who followed Jesus in that first century and for hundreds and 2,000 years now. And they would tell you, yeah, that whole idea of never suffering, that's just not in the scripture. That whole idea of having to endure and it just being a cakewalk, that's, yeah, that, that's actually there and we have to do that. And when we ask the questions, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? That's not in the vocabulary of a worker who will be fulfilled because they've embraced the notion that there will be suffering. They've embraced the notion that there will be difficulty and hardship and I am gonna have to endure. And the sooner we get to that, the better off we'll be so that we don't bail on following Jesus. Because as you just saw in the text, disowning God, walking away, that's an option. And at the end of our lives, we have to ask ourselves, will we have walked faithfully? And you can rest assured that he will be faithful. He says it right there and he's proven himself trustworthy over and over and over again. Paul also talks in those verses about that trustworthy saying. And he mentions this idea that if we've died with him, we will also be raised with him. That is the picture of what we're gonna celebrate next weekend in baptism. And I wanna challenge you, if you've not yet been baptized, Trisha did this already, but I'm here to do it again, to not be ashamed of Jesus to publicly declare, I belong to Christ. If you're worried about what you're gonna say, we will help you to craft your story. If you're worried about drowning, we've not lost anybody yet. If you're worried about what, if, it's too, if the water's gonna be too cold, hey, we're about enduring and suffering around here, but it'll be a balmy 90 degrees in the tank. So we will help you. We will work with you through this process, but never be ashamed means that you publicly declare, I died. The day I became a follower of Jesus, my old self died and my new self is now alive in Christ Jesus. And we are to never be ashamed and it starts in the tank with publicly declaring that. So a worker who is fulfilled has suffered and endured and publicly announces that they're all in with Jesus. He continues in verse 14 and he says, keep reminding God's people of these things and here we find ourselves now 2,000 years later doing that. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Here's the next metaphor. A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Paul's trying to say there a lot of words, a fulfilled worker has remained focused on the truth. Verses 14 and 15 are why we exist as a staff, as a team. Our job is to warn you to stay focused on the scriptures to stay focused 
on the good doctrine in Jesus. Don't get pulled into quarreling and godless chatter. It says that they will actually, that'll ruin people. And that word for ruin in the text is the word that we get now from, is our word catastrophe. It literally turns the world upside down and it is pointless. We are not to engage in word battles, Paul says. He goes on and he says, don't be involved in quarreling, in godless chatter. Don't get sucked into the relational muck and mire of this world. Time is too precious to be caught engaging in controversial conversations. And the truth is, have things changed that much since the first century? Do we not still struggle with divisions and arguments and factions within Jesus' movement, within his worldwide church? But that's not how it's supposed to be. It's pointless when we get engaged in those word battles fighting over things. And I'm thankful we don't have a bunch of that here at Riverside. Very grateful for that. But the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, is are we pursuing, as he talks about here in these verses, are we pursuing this truth? Are we focused in on it? You know, he uses the term there, gangrene. Very graphic term. And just as cancer enters into a body, and you can't hardly stop it, and it just spreads and it goes everywhere. So do arguments, godless conversations, godless chatter. Just like it does that inside of a body, heresy does that inside of a local church. And so we remain true to God's word, to these ancient texts that he has left for us. Notice that it says that we're to present ourselves. That is idea of a persistent zeal. We are to take this very seriously. And we do it as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. It's the idea of cutting a straight road versus a crooked road. It's why we take it so seriously. It's why we esteem and value and honor God's word. He goes on and he says in verse 20, uses the second of these three illustrations. In a large house, there are articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be, here it is, instruments or vessels. These articles, he uses this word, instruments for special purposes, made useful, wholly useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. A fulfilled worker, Paul says, has been useful to the master. Notice that it talks about articles and instruments and all that kind of stuff. Let me give you the just real honest assessment of what he's saying here. He says, in every house, there are things that are for special purposes. There are vessels, there are instruments, articles for special. That was stuff that was made out of gold and silver. That's what you serve the food on and the, and the food in. If you had something that was wood or clay, those were wastebaskets and toilets. The old language says for noble purposes or for ignoble purposes. So which do you wanna be today? Do you want to be an instrument that's used for special purposes? Because that's what God has called us to. He wants us to be holy and pure and righteous in his sight. And he sent his son so that we could be not common, but to be uncommon. He does not want you to be a trash can and he does not want you to be a toilet. 
Yes, you came to church today and the crux of the message was don't be a toilet. Somebody tweet that quick. You can't make yourself clean on your own, though. You can't be a clean instrument on your own. That's why Jesus came to give his life for you and for me, so that we could be made clean, holy, and useful to the master. At the end of the day, you want to be able to say in your final moments, in your final letter, in your final conversations, you want to say, I have been useful to Jesus. I have been useful to my master. So what's God doing right now in this season to prepare you to be useful? We never outgrow our need to be useful in God's kingdom. He did not redeem you and rescue you and clean you up to then set you up on a shelf. He wants you to be actively engaged in redeeming this world wherever you find yourself. On your campus, in your classrooms, at your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, God wants to use you to help other people experience life and move so far beyond just accomplishment and instead to true fulfillment. You know, at the end of a weekend like we've just had with Winter Blast, 87 kids and 25 adults, I was there over the weekend at various points along the way watching everything that was occurring. And I was talking to Josh this morning about it. And you could walk away from that weekend and you could feel really accomplished. Hey, we accomplished a big event. I mean, there was stuff all over the place. The whole building down there in Oakmont was just totally transformed. You could walk away from that feeling accomplished and that would be nice, but that would be short-lived. What was truly happening there was something in those leaders, those volunteers, that was fulfilling. It was so much deeper so much more engaging. That was fulfilling at the soul level. Not just that we accomplished an event, but that we poured into a generation that will someday be seated here and will be here and will be leading Jesus' family and Jesus' movement in their own generation. That's what's truly fulfilling. So whatever it is that God has called us to do, In whatever arena of life, he wants us to live in such a way that it will be beyond just accomplishing something and instead actually fulfilling something, fulfilling a purpose, fulfilling his dream. Before you were born, he had a plan in mind for you to fulfill his purposes. And so our approach is to say, God, I want to fulfill your purposes in my life. And I will do whatever it is that you ask of me. I will be that vessel. I don't want to be a common vessel. I want to be a special vessel. I want to be a special instrument in your hand. Paul's got one more metaphor that he wants to throw our way. He says in verse 22, Flee the youthful, the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's, here it is, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed 
in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul says that a fulfilled worker has led others to a knowledge of the truth. Our job as followers of Jesus is to invest in people's lives, to inform them, to invite them. We're to do this with a gentleness and a respect. And the goal is not to punish them. The goal is not to belittle other people. The goal is to say, hey, I've discovered something along the way. And in my brokenness and in my emptiness, I found a savior. I found a person who rescued me and redeemed me and who loved me unconditionally. And my life has purpose and significance. And I just want that for you. And our response to this good news that God has done in our lives is to point others to that same knowledge of the truth that we ourselves have experienced and what an honor and a privilege that is because there is a very, very, very real adversary out there. Paul describes it as the devil. We know him as Satan. And his desire is to do everything in our world to bring about the antithesis of what Paul says to pursue the enemy of our souls. He wants us to pursue evil desires and unrighteousness and hate and discord and impurity and fights and pride. And instead, God says, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Paul says, you're instead, you're not supposed to pursue those things. You pursue the things that most honor God and you invite others to that as well. And when you do that, they can experience what Paul talks about in those verses that they themselves can call upon the name of the Lord. We're supposed to move past those earthly desires, those pursuits that we have when we're young, those desires that can grip us and pull us in. We're supposed to move past that and instead pursue holiness. And look what it says, with all who call upon the name of the Lord, we pursue holiness, we pursue righteousness in the context of a faithful community of believers who are committed to the truth. That's what he's invited us into. That's what he invites us to invite others into as well. So today might be your day to call upon the name of the Lord for yourself for the very first time. You might say, you know what? I'm living a life that will not ultimately bring me to fulfillment. I live for the weekends and there's nothing but emptiness and impurity. And at the end of the day, I'm not gonna be happy to lay my head on my pillow for the final time. There will be an emptiness and a brokenness. And today is my day to call upon the Lord to experience what Jesus offers, salvation, redemption, wholeness, and healing. So obviously you can't talk about this without asking yourself the question, are you pointing others as your life, pointing others to truth? Not just your version of truth, but what do the scriptures teach? What do the followers of Jesus understand for 2,000 years is the way to live based on what Jesus taught us? You see, when you do all of this, when you live like this at the end of the day, the big overarching thing that we get out of this chapter is that a fulfilled worker is never ashamed. A fulfilled worker ultimately is never ashamed. Think about this, those thoughts that we've just looked at this morning. Think about Jesus. On the final night of his life, he prays to his heavenly father and he says, Father, I have completed the work that you have done. 
you, you asked me to do, that you've done through me. Father, I've completed that work and I have brought you glory in doing so. And if you think about the thoughts that we've just talked about, Jesus was one who had avoided entanglement and he avoided temptation. He had suffered and he had endured. He'd been useful to his heavenly father. He'd led others to a knowledge of the truth and he lived in such a way that he was never ashamed. So how will you live in light of what you've heard today? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What are you living to please? Who are you living to please? Are you going about the right things in the right way? And will you be a fulfilled worker? As the worship team returns, there came a moment in the Apostle Paul's life when he realized, when he was confronted with Jesus, that he, would have, he was living in such a way that it wouldn't lead ultimately to fulfillment. Instead, he would have been lacking. He would have been wanting. You see, Paul had the right pedigree. He had the right heritage. He had the right set of parents. He had the right amount of money. He'd done the right religious things. He had avoided the wrong religious things. He'd lived as a good Jew and he'd followed all the rules and he'd accomplished a whole bunch. But at the end of the day, he was living a life that would not have led him to ultimate fulfillment. He would have been writing this letter to Timothy and he would have said, I should have. I should have. I thought this, but it was actually this. I did this, but I should have been about that. But because he encountered Jesus and he called upon the name of Jesus, he could pin the words, I have fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've been faithful all the way to the end. And that's my prayer for all of us, that today could be a wake-up call, that we could live in such a way, whether that's as a soldier or an athlete or a farmer or a worker or a servant or an instrument, whatever metaphor most connects with you today, that you would live in such a way that you would be fulfilled. That you could stand with Paul someday and you could hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Would you bow your hearts with me? Let me pray. Then we'll respond. Lord, thanks for preserving these words for us. We acknowledge that our purpose lies within your design for us. So Lord, we long to be fulfilled workers who avoid entanglement, who don't get distracted by this world, but that we would have a singular focus, a persistent zeal, that we would avoid temptation, that we would take the way out that you provide every single time we're tempted. You've promised that you provide a way out. Grant us the bold faith to stand with you in the face of temptation. Lord, we long to be fulfilled workers who suffer, who endure, and endure it well, that we won't get whiny, that we won't get embittered over the course of life. Help us to remain focused on your truths. Lord, we long to be useful to you. We want to lead others to a knowledge of your truth. And Lord, we want to live so that we will never be ashamed. 
So we'll never be ashamed of you. We'll never be ashamed before you. And we will never bring shame on you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.